0: the main thrust of my book is every child is unique. They have an absolutely unique constitution and therefore they will need an environment in life that is perhaps different to the environment that their brother or their sister is going to need or that you needed or that their father needs or whatever. And really to keep our focus on the individual and to respond to that is the key.
1: Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Rebecca Avern is the author of two pediatric acupuncture books, including the newest, Chinese Medicine for Childhood Anxiety and Depression. Anxiety and depression are conditions we talk about extensively in this episode. Through her Oxford-based pediatric clinical practice, Rebecca has amassed a wealth of knowledge and experience, much of which she shares in this episode. We cover a wide range of topics including the surge in teenage anxiety and possible contributory factors such as screen time, boarding schools, family trauma, vaccines and medications, and the excessive use of labels and we discuss the role of five elements in treatment. We also explore some exciting advances and collaborative research opportunities for practitioners and her newly launched Hub of Pediatric Acupuncture. Stay tuned to the end for her discount offer to the Hub for listeners of the podcast. Rebecca is a long-standing senior faculty member of the College of Integrative Chinese Medicine in Reading. She mentored under the late Giovanni Maciocia and assisted him in the writing of Diagnosis in Chinese Medicine. She has also completed postgraduate training with renowned author and pediatric expert, Julian Scott. Rebecca is passionate about the health of children and a pure joy to listen to in this podcast. If you have any interest in acupuncture, anxiety, or the treatment of children, this is an episode you won't want to miss. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Rebecca Avern. Rebecca, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio.
0: Thank you, Tud. Thank you for asking me to be here.
1: I'm really excited to have you here. You you have a specialty in topics that are of great interest to me, in particular pediatrics, but then even narrowing that more on the new book that you're working on, which is focusing on anxiety in pediatrics. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's focusing on childhood anxiety and depression. Yes.
1: I feel I'm like sure that. that is such a relevant topic in the world right now perhaps more so than ever so why don't we start with just a bit of a discussion about that
0: sure yes i i started writing the book at the very start of the pandemic not realizing that the the cases and the the discussion around childhood anxiety and depression were about to kind of explode really um, as a as one response to the pandemic but I originally decided to work to write the book because I find of all the childhood conditions that I see in my clinic that is firstly one that I see more of than almost anything else and secondly that acupuncture I find is so incredibly effective to treat it and not only is acupuncture very effective working with these children who are struggling in this way but even before I have any needles in them just the approach of Chinese medicine I find can be so helpful as a framework to understanding why a child is anxious or why their mood is low. And very often this really arises out of the fabric of their life. And I think sometimes we talk about it in terms of it being something that just kind of happens to happen. But actually, if we look at the way so many children and teenagers' lives are structured from our kind of Chinese medicine perspective and through that lens, it really becomes quite obvious and in a way unsurprising as to why so many of them are struggling.
1: Now, I think you said anxiety is the most common pattern you're seeing in in kids in your clinic, right?
0: Yes, definitely, in in the top three, I would say, yes. Yeah.
1: It doesn't surprise me, and yet at the same time, I'm just astounded by that. And what are you finding is underlying much of this anxiety? I don't know if there's a commonality. I'm sure the pandemic is not helping in the masks and the inability to connect with people in the way we used to connect. What are you seeing?
0: Yeah, so I completely agree that the fact that that is one of my most commonly seen conditions is both shocking but not surprising. So it's incredibly sad that this generation are struggling in this way to the degree that which they to which they are. Um, that's a, a very kind of sad indictment of, of where we're at really. And I think in terms of the, of the whys, Chinese medicine has so much to offer in this way. So I think that we need to look right back to the very start of life to be able to begin to make some sense of why this is happening. So even what happens during pregnancy, for example, has um, an enormous impact in the future emotional health of a child. Sun Si talked about that at, at length, that whatever happens to a mother during pregnancy is going to have a big impact on the fetus in their womb. And this is not in any way to blame mothers or to say that they're doing anything wrong I think it's really a fact that in society now we've lost that knowing that pregnant women need to be looked after and some of the normal stresses and strains of life need to be taken off them while they're growing a child and then there are all the factors around birth and the increasing numbers of interventions around birth that have a very profound impact on a child's chi and on their system. So for example, antibiotics, anesthetics during labor, C-sections, you know, these are all things that save lives. They're not bad things in and of themselves. It's just that we don't really give any, acknowledgement to the fact that there may also be some downsides of them and it may also mean that children come into the world with imbalances that if we don't try and do something to correct them they can then cause problems later on in life so there are all those very early factors and then in early childhood there's over medicalization you know many kids these days, even if they have the slightest fever, are given fever suppressant medication and all of these things plus vaccinations, and this isn't saying vaccinations are right or wrong, it's just a statement of fact, they suppress fetal heat in the system. And then if you kind of go 10 years down the line, when the surge of yang that rises up during adolescence begins to come into the picture. This can bring this old fetal heat and stir it up and um, it begins to rise up and agitate the shen and is a major factor, in in my opinion, in adolescent anxiety. And then, of course, there are just all the, the pressures of life, the fast pace of life, the screen time, the social media, the expectations, the micromanagement that um, many children have in their life. You know, a lot of children in the West have very little time and space these days to find out who they are, to look inwards, to let their hun wander and let their let their fantasy world kind of, you know, have a bit of space. So there's all this kind of suppression, which I feel means that for many children, their Shen kind of turns in on themselves and they become kind of hyper self-aware. And that causes them a great deal of anxiety and means that they become dissociated from who they are and from their their Ming, you know, their unique destiny in in the world. Um, these pressures that they're under make it very difficult for them to find out what they're here for and to try and live according to that. And I think all of these factors, plus many more, are, uh, you know, that's just a kind of a taster of what I see in my clinic I think that contributes to this um, very high rate of anxiety and other kind of mental emotional disorders in kids.
1: I wrote down a lot of notes while you were talking a lot of things <laughs> sorry I've me. kind
0: of splurged out no there. <laughs> no this is great
1: it's setting the stage now I'm going to be a bit radical here and I'm going to pick the most contentious mm-hmm. and controversial one to step off with here
0: i think i know what you're going to say (laughs) i wish i hadn't mentioned it
1: (laughs) well i just i'm curious about (laughs) vaccination as you said according to tcm what does it do again with the fetal heat
0: so it's not so much that vaccinations themselves do anything to the fetal heat but it's more the fact that the lack of opportunity to have childhood illnesses deprives a child of what TCM understands to be a very important necessary part of childhood and development, which is to express this fetal heat. So when we get a fever, when we're a child, you know, it goes without saying, some fevers can be dangerous and they need to be managed and the child needs to be looked after, but most benign viral fevers, from the TCM perspective, serve a purpose. They're a way of venting this fetal heat that we all come into the world with out of the body. So when we're vaccinated against all the normal kind of childhood illnesses we don't as children get a chance to vent this heat and it lingers around in us and one way that can manifest is that it can affect the shen and then be a contributory factor in mental emotional disorders so yeah
1: so i'll I'll just kind of paraphrase this in my own words so I, for one, I'm not a fan of the aggressive vaccination schedule. I think it's in this country, I think it's 72 different vaccinations during the first few years of life. And I think there is pretty much widespread agreement that that does impact the immune system. And so what I'm hearing you say is that fetal heat in Chinese medicine is kind of part of the immune system and the functioning of the immune system. And so if we are suppressing the natural immune system's function, and probably confusing it with all of these different antigens being injected directly into the body before the immune system has had a chance to fully develop, then it is basically closing off any portal for this natural fetal heat to express itself, move through the body, have its healing purposes, and, and be released when necessary. And so yeah. then, as the children reach puberty, when their heat is reaching a crescendo there's this unexpressed fetal heat that is stirring and in the process disturbing the spirit or the Shen, which can lead to these, uh, these psychological concerns that we're talking about.
0: Exactly. So Sun Si Miao called these times in childhood when we vent some fetal heat transformations and steamings. And he, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said something to the effect of when these transformations and steamings are complete, the child has become a human being. So that statement is incredibly powerful, because it implies that it's actually necessary for our development to go through these stages. And I think we have to balance this discussion with the fact that vaccination has saved millions of lives you know it's not about good and bad we have to sort of look at it from a a yin and a yang perspective you know there's there's yin and yang in everything but it's just a a sort of um you know side effect as it were of a a very widespread vaccination program that a lot of children are growing up not having had these developmental phases, which uh, whilst in the past uh, and still today in countries where there isn't good healthcare and sanitation could be very dangerous, but nevertheless, uh, when they don't go through that, it can potentially have negative effects as they grow older.
1: Right. Okay, I'm just gonna turn my thermostat down. I'll be right back.
0: Okay.
1: Perhaps my suppressed fetal heat is rising. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I I agree with much of it. I'm very opinionated on this topic. I won't go into that. Um, but I am interested in the immune system and how. I'm going to say largely in Western medicine, we take interventions very quickly to shut down our body's natural healing response. Fever is, of course, one of those ways. The first sign of fever, it's typically recommended to take Tylenol and bring the fever down. When, of course, many of us understand that the fever is just part of the body's natural response to illness and infection. And by not allowing it, I guess more in my opinion, but certainly shared by others, by not allowing it to run its course and to heat up necessary parts of the body to heal and then to allow that heat to escape, we're actually not only benefiting whatever pathogens are in the body and potentially allowing them to go deeper, but we're also not exercising the immune system like a muscle. And I would say we're probably confusing it Because every time it tries to ramp up an attack, we put drugs in the system that cuts it down. And so I'm a a bigger fan of allowing the body's natural healing mechanisms to run their course within a range of safety. And
0: for sure. I mean, I think that immunologists recognize the importance of fever, Western medicine, from a a purely kind of scientific point of view, recognizes the importance of it. I think that we still, as a society, have perhaps a rather outdated fear of fever that comes from a time when, you know, fever killed children in their their early years. But I think, you know, if, if my child had, meningitis I would probably want them to take antibiotics but if they have a benign viral fever then I think that I would want to treat that with you know Chinese medicine and rest and good old simple kind of mothering and all the rest of it so I think that we just have to have a very balanced approach to this and I feel that we've become imbalanced as a society in our, in our approach to this, we try and kind of stamp out fevers, which as you say, um, are a chance for the immune system to kind of develop its muscle really.
1: Right. Now I'm, you'd probably be relieved to know I'm going to let, let you off the hook when it comes to vaccination specifically, but now I want to continue along the line. You said in Chinese medicine, there's this concept of this suppressed fetal heat, rising later during puberty and disturbing the shen
0: Mm -hmm.
1: where in the literature is this concept discussed
0: so this was written about um by sun see Miao, and his works have been translated by sabine wilms um who's done an amazing job
1: she sure has
0: an amazing job translating them um so as far as i know he is the only person that discussed it in this way specifically about childhoods uh as far as i know yeah
1: now when you're seeing this in your clinic how are you making the connection that this is suppressed fetal heat and not just the young phase of puberty causing emotional changes?
0: Well, I think it's rarely just one thing. I think that mental, emotional issues that are bad enough to bring a child to the acupuncture clinic generally arise when there's a perfect storm. So I think that the suppressed fetal heat is one factor and then at this later stage of life as puberty begins to to burgeon other factors come in and then suddenly there's a tipping point and it tips over into into pathology and and symptomatology. So I can't say that I could look at a particular child and say, I know for sure the problem here is suppressed fetal heat. But when you take a case history and you see that the mother of that child had, let's say had antibiotics in pregnancy for some condition, just say she had recurrent bladder infections. She then had antibiotics during delivery because perhaps there was a fear of infection and the child had several courses of antibiotics had the full vaccination program was commonly given tylenol or calpol as we call it in the uk to suppress fevers and that they've never really had a fever to speak of in their life And then sure enough, at the age of 12 or 13, they have this raging heat that seems to be rising up and agitating the heart. And when you see that kind of picture over and over again, it's hard not to come to the conclusion that this lack of fever doesn't play at least some part in in the picture.
1: So you are seeing then... In your patients that those who have had heavy pharmaceutical and vaccination intervention and early ages are showing more disturbed shen signs during puberty than those who have not Is...
0: i can't say that for sure okay. because i think i see so few children who haven't right been vaccinated and have all the, had all these interventions but i think if you look at The rise in child and adolescent mental health problems and the rise in medical interventions in pregnancy, birth, and early childhoods, then it's hard not to see or not to question whether there's a connection between the two.
1: Right. Okay. All right. So earlier you talked about these anxieties and other... Psychoemotional conditions can begin as early as in the womb. I wonder if you are familiar with the work of, of people such as Mark Wolin. He wrote the wonderful book, It Didn't Start With You, which actually goes back generations. And he has shown with great evidence that these conditions are kind of carved into the, into the DNA well before the womb, and they can go back to the parents, to the grandparents, and even beyond. And I find that his work and research is fascinating because it really helps to explain why in certain families, certain conditions do seem to run through the family, and it's not uncommon to see something as anxiety run through one side of a family, and you can see it from generation to generation, and you can, and no matter what the awareness of it is with the current generation and how the parenting strategies are different to try to resolve that, sometimes that anxiety still comes through because it seems to be wired into the DNA. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Are you familiar Mm -hmm. with with that or have any Mm. thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I am familiar with it. And I find this whole area fascinating and i really believe that acupuncture is a tool that can help to break these generational patterns because i think that they are they're imprinted into the chi as it were that's
1: the word i was looking for yeah
0: and i think that when we treat young children who are so malleable because of their predominance of of yang and the fact that their their channels and their shen and their chi aren't completely set in the early stages of life. We have a good chance of helping them to break those patterns that are passed down generations. And I also think that it's very hard to separate out nature and nurture in this respect because I very often hear parents in my clinic say things to in front of their child or to their child along the lines of oh well you know it's not surprising that um you know little Johnny gets anxious because um you know Daddy gets anxious, and, and grandpa got anxious before him, and it just kind of runs in the family. And that may be the case, but if you tell a child that, then they're much more likely to manifest that that anxiety than if you don't tell them. That and seems
1: like the case of Ming Ming. Yeah. To name a thing and give it a destiny.
0: Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: So Sorry, I think...
0: That we can, you know, as a practitioner, even to be able to say something to a child like, well, you know, I hear it that your dad and your grandfather both suffered from anxiety. I don't think that's going to be the case with you. You know, I think with acupuncture, we can we can change this and we can help you to relax more and enjoy life more that's an incredibly powerful message. And it may be the only place that the child's getting that message from because it may be in the family script. Oh, yeah. we're, we're the anxious family or we're the whatever, the depressed family or the angry family or whatever. Or not not in the family script, but in the child script, oh, he's the angry one in the family. Right, He's the uh, unconfident one
1: it's so important what you're saying and I'm so glad that you're saying it because we do with all these labels that we give, we are etching the victim mentality into people, even if it's a subtle one. I was actually working with some men the other day and someone brought up the fact and he's in his late thirties or forties and brought up the fact that he's, oh, I've had ADD my whole life. And he started to bemoan kind of or make excuses for why certain things hadn't happened and so i had to call him out on that victim energy and it really stopped him in his tracks because it's something that is just it's second nature to society now and to people to take those labels on and when you take them on again with ming ming when you name it you're giving it a destiny and it is going to manifest if you give it that attention and fuel
0: and even if it's a supposedly positive in inverted commas label, it's still restrictive. You know, if, if yes. a child is being labeled the bright one, the successful yeah. one, the confident one, they're just as, as restrictive and potentially negatively impactful as the, the more obviously kind of negative, again, in inverted commas, labels.
1: Right, because then they carry that pressure forward of needing Mm. to live up to that expectation. And if they don't, they're going to lose the acknowledgement and validation.
0: Exactly. And what I say in my book, the main thrust of my book that I find myself saying to parents over and over again, is your child's, every child is unique. They have an absolutely unique constitution. And therefore, they will need a unique environment or an environment in life that is perhaps different to the environment that their brother or their sister is going to need or that you needed or that their father needs or whatever. And really to keep our focus on the individual and to respond to that is the key. So for example, I remember a child coming to the clinic many years ago, she was seven and she had alopecia, which is an incredibly young age to to have alopecia, right? And um, she went to an incredibly, uh, what's the word, sort of, I would say, um, pushy school. It's quite a kind of famous school, you know, there's a long waiting list to get into it. So she would come to her appointment and they would have to rush off afterwards because she'd had to get to her next extracurricular activity. She was doing several sports and playing several instruments. And I remember one, one sort of half term holiday, she went on a bridge camp for the whole holiday. You know, she was seven years old. yes. And I she was incredibly kidney deficient. And I was explaining to her mother that I felt that essentially she was depleted and that this was a part of the alopecia. And her mum said to me, No, 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 no. She doesn't seem tired at all. And I then gave my analogy of, well, you know, if a battery's running out, you have no sign of that until the moment it goes, as it were. And then she said, yeah, but I've got, you know, two older children and they've done the same and they're fine. And that's that's what I hear time and time again. And I came back to her with, but your daughter's different to your two other children. She has a different constitution. And I believe that there's something about her life now that is straining her system. And that's uh, in part causing her alopecia.
1: Right. If you don't mind, can we talk for a minute about the boarding school system in England? And I don't know if it's sure. still common as it was in the past, but I'm actually just reading with my son right now a, a biographical story by the author Roald Dahl. And
0: yeah. he
1: talks about his experience in boarding school. And when he got to his teenage years, he thought he was finally moving into a safer boarding school. And it turns out that the headmaster was the future uh head of the church of England. And he said the beatings from this man were worse than any of the previous ones. And so for his whole adolescent and teenage life, he was not with his parents. He was in an environment where he was constantly beaten and abused and tortured. And I'm reading these things and just thinking how prevalent was this then? And is it still today? Because as you said, like with this poor girl who's then sent off to bridge camp during holidays, when do they get the chance to make the attachment with their parents? And this is actually going back to Mark Wolin. This is something that he, he talks about a lot. If if there is a break in that parental attachment, it is going to potentially have dire consequences and it's going to be very difficult to bridge that break later in life.
0: Mm. I can talk about this from personal experience, having come from a family where the men, not the women, were all sent off to boarding school at the age of seven or eight, sometimes earlier. And I have very vivid memories of my brother literally being kind of manhandled into the car on a Sunday night crying, before my father drove him back to boarding school. So I talk with real feeling about this. And yes, it's boarding schools are still prevalent in the UK. It's different in that in my father's day, he would have been dropped off at boarding school at the beginning of term and gone home three months later with absolutely no contact with his parents that, for that entire time. Now kids go to boarding school and they tend to come back on a Friday night every weekend and I would hope and my impression is that most boarding schools aren't quite as heartless, violent, ruthless, loveless places as they used to be. However, just the very fact of being at a boarding school obviously means that kids don't get that attachment with their parents that they need. And so there are a couple of things about that. I think from the the Chinese medicine point of view, it has myriad effects. My feeling is that on a fundamental level, it breaks that connection between the kidneys and the heart between water and fire that provides us with our kind of rod of emotional stability at the center of us, through which we can stay strong when we're in choppy waters, you know, it's a really kind of, um, it's like our anchor. But I think the other thing to say, going back to my earlier point is that how a child responds to that will depend very largely on their constitution. And I tend to think about children's constitution in terms of the five elements and which elemental type they are. So for example, If a fire, this is is making it, of course, far simpler than it is, but to illustrate a point. Sure. So if a fire type is sent off to boarding school, their default response may be one of rejection, of feeling unloved and unlovable. You know, I'm obviously not lovable enough for my parents to want to kind of stay with me. I mean, that doesn't go on consciously. It's all very unconscious. And the earth child may worry about how their needs are going to be met, how they're going to get the the nurturing and that kind of traditionally motherly care that they need. Um, The metal child may go into feeling a lack of self-worth and self-esteem and disconnect from their sense of quality within them, you know, I'm not good enough. Um, the water child may go into a kind of fear response you know what does the future hold for me when I'm not getting what I need as it were and the wood child may be just really pissed off and angry and furious and either kind of manifest that outwardly or internally so you know that's obviously a very generalized way of understanding it but just to make the point that every child responds differently and some children with a very strong spirit can get through it and somehow learn resilience and turn it into something positive. But I think certainly from my experience of living in the UK, you know, it ruined a generation. I mean, my mother's generation used to say that the men of their generation were, they used to call call them emotionally disabled. I would say these poor men <sighs> have had to cut off to survive and have never found a way to reconnect after that.
1: Wow, that's powerful. What you're saying about the Five Elements reminds me of the conversation I just had with your husband, Peter Mole about the... Relative strengths of the constitutional five element style of acupuncture versus the TCM style, because with the five element approach, it tends to be, I would say, more effective in treating these type of psychoemotional disturbances and the elemental imbalances, versus the TCM, which is a little bit more just symptom based prescriptions. Is that Mm -hmm. your experience? And are you? I know you studied. Uh, studied five elements at the College of Integrated, uh, sorry, College of Integrated.
0: Chinese medicine, that's right. Chinese medicine. Thank you. (laughs) I wanted to say acupuncture,
1: (laughs) but I knew it wasn't acupuncture. (laughs) The College of Integrated Chinese Medicine. So is Mm -hmm. that, does that tend to be your mode of practice more so than TCM?
0: So I practice an integrated style of of five element and TCM. I think that. So with my teenage patients who are coming with these mental emotional problems, I think the five element approach is particularly helpful. I think with a three year old child with a fever or a digestive complaint, then the TCM approach approach tends to work better. So. I I call on whichever one and sometimes combine them depending on the age and the condition of the child but certainly course, for yeah. mental mm-hmm. emotional conditions I think the five element approach is completely mm. the best the best mm. thing imaginable really for it. I know okay. of no other system that can you know that can understand why the 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 unique nature of each person's anxiety or low mood you know we use these words but they're just labels they mean nothing if you put 10 people in a row that are feeling anxious and really try and find out how they're feeling you'll realize that they all experience it in wildly different ways and the five element approach really is a framework that can be used to get to grips with those right. nuanced and, feelings.
1: Yes, and of course, that's what you teach at the college. That's what you learned at the college. So mm-hmm. you're well suited for that. And not, speaking of the 10 people in a room with anxiety, yes, with five elements, we can approach each of them uniquely. And even if it's something, uh, let's call it cancer, with a five element approach, we can, we can come at each of them. Uniquely, even if they all have the same exact Western medicine diagnosis. And I think that's something that's very important for people Mm -hmm. to understand. And TCM doesn't even necessarily do that. They may look at that tumor as damp phlegm stagnation and treat the same way for all 10 people Mm
0: -hmm. without
1: really considering all the unique traits and experiences that brought that person to where they are today.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. I want to go back to the powerful observation that you gave from the the older generation being emotionally disabled mm. the men men in particular because of course that didn't stop with that generation because now we have a generation of dads who are emotionally disabled and they're raising their children and the only way they know how to do which of course is going to have, severe repercussions on that generation, and so on and so forth. And now it seems to be we're uh, getting into a generation where young men are coming up, and they are, and this is, I am going to generalize and label with this, and I I mean, uh, no offense by it, but there seems to be a lot of confusion and yearning to express emotions, but not really an awareness of how to do that and who to turn to for guidance on how to do that and and it seems to be uh, to hear you say that the previous generations were emotionally disabled it it makes total sense that what we're seeing now is the fallout of that and of course that is then going to trickle down into future generations and have other consequences
0: yeah yeah
1: do you have any thoughts on that
0: Yes, I think that I agree with what you're saying. I also feel on a hopeful note that a lot of dads and men of the, you know, who are currently sort of dads of, of young children are finding a way to, to break these.
1: Patterns. So many are. Absolutely. Yeah
0: which I find very hopeful. I think that things tend to swing, don't they? And I I slightly, so if we sort of think about the previous generation of, you know, like my father being sent off, very little parental input at all, I would say almost now there is perhaps in some sectors of society a flip the other way where children are kind of overly, what's the word, observed as it were. They've gone from maybe not having enough love and input to in some cases perhaps having too much of slightly the wrong kind,
1: like the so, helicopter parenting.
0: Yeah, exactly. Helicopter parents I th- um, is a is a you know a, an expression that kind of sums it up. I think that a lot of children now, partly because we have fewer children than we used to, and maybe as a reaction to what we were talking about with the previous generation. I think some children grow up feeling like they're under a microscope. Right. And I think now, that's a pressure.
1: Yeah. In your work, are you at all looking at healing the relationship between your patients in this generation and the previous generations? I know with... For example, personal development, transformational work, men's work. Uh, I'll be speaking with Laurie Yves Deschard next week about alchemical work, mm-hmm. and in those processes and in those systems, very, very, very often, if not always, there is a look back at somehow healing the generational traumas, and that starts with healing with our parents. Mm-hmm is that something that you are accessing in the clinical setting and if so what does that look like
0: that's an interesting question and a a perceptive question i hold that in my mind so i when i'm treating a child I consider really that even though it may be the child and perhaps their parent or one of their parents in the room with me, that really energetically the whole family and I would go as far as to say previous generations are kind of energetically there as well. Yes. So I think that I hold some awareness of that somewhere kind of in the back of my, my being as I work with a child. But I also feel that as a practitioner, it's quite easy to feel overwhelmed in the face of these family intergenerational dynamics that you may pick up on, that you may sense are very deeply there and are related to the condition that the child's coming for treatment for. In order to best help the child, I find I do have to put these things slightly to the back of my being. I was going to say mind, but it's not really my mind, it's my being, I think. Because otherwise they can get in the way of me actually responding to the child in that moment and I think as a practitioner if we sense these very long deeply held complicated passed down patterns I, I suppose I can only speak for myself I can feel powerless I can feel that there's nothing I can do this is too big so that's why I keep needing to come back to okay what does this child need from me now what can i best do in this moment to help them and i very much hope that in doing whatever that is it's going some way to working with all of this bigger context right i can't possibly know that bigger context so i to some degree have to keep it out of out of the the forefront
1: do you ever turn to the parents and look at treating them as well
0: yeah i recommend to parents that they have treatment i don't treat adults anymore so i pass on to someone else i very occasionally will treat a parent in the same treatment as a child if i feel that's absolutely kind of necessary for the child to get better um, very often when I, or when one treats a child, there are ripple effects outwards. So yes, you're just treating one member of the family, but just in the way that the five elements are connected via the Shang and the Ku cycle, every member of the family are connected. So when you, when you treat one, it has an, a knock on effect on all of them. Of course. Uh, so sometimes it's not necessary, I think, for the parents to get treatment. Sometimes it is.
1: Okay. A couple other things. You spoke of one of them, which is the digital age that we're in and the lack of nature and the ramifications that that is potentially having on all generations, not just the younger one. But we'll stick with with uh, adolescents and teenagers. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that, and also before I forget, you didn't mention this, but I want to bring it up, which is the impact of birth control. So whichever one you want to start with, hopefully you're okay talking about both. But
0: I'll start with the with the screens and the social media. I think. So, in terms of their impact on children and teenagers. Where do I begin?
1: Yeah, (laughs) as we sit on our screens connecting.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. I think that we have to, the first thing I think I want to say is that I don't want to completely demonize these things. Because particularly during the pandemic, the ability to connect with their peers via technology was an absolute kind of mental health lifesaver for many teenagers. Because when you're in early adolescence, you know, your your job, is to find a tribe outside of your family and to connect with them and to find out who you are alongside your family, rather than being kind of right enmeshed in them as it were. And when kids weren't able to go to school for months and weren't able to to meet up socially, I think technology was a complete lifesaver. However, I think that overuse of technology causes certain imbalances of chi, which I'm happy to to go into what I perceive them to be. I also feel that what kids aren't doing because they're on their screens is a big issue. So it's not necessarily what they're doing on their screens that can be detrimental although that can be detrimental but it's what it stops them from doing and i also think that we have to always look at why a child is perhaps what we very easily kind of say we know we we use the word addicted don't we we say oh you know these teenagers are addicted to their phones or whatever But we have to ask ourselves why? You know, it's very often something about their life that is making them kind of hide in their phones. It may be that it's their kind of comforter and the only time they actually don't feel anxious is when they're doing something on a screen because they find social situations so difficult, for example. However, in terms of the energetic effects of lots of screen time, I think there are several. I think that particularly, although not exclusively for girls, being on social media a lot, constantly looking for, you know, who's my friend, who's liked me, who's following me, am I invited to that party, do I look as good as that person, etc, etc, agitates the shen, depletes heart blood um, to a very, and, and can also create excess heat in the body. I think those are the pathologies that I see particularly when kids are on their phones just before bedtime um, when you know the shen ideally should be kind of settling down into its residence of the heart for the night in order for sleep to be able to come in Um, and I think being on phones just really interferes with that process and I think again particularly but not exclusively it tends to be boys who play a lot of kind of adrenalizing video games. And they, when they're very competitive, they tend to sort of burn up the kidney yang, sorry, kidney yin. They tend to agitate the liver. And I always say to parents, if your child gets really grumpy when when they have to come off their PlayStation or their Xbox, that's a sign that they've been on it too long because essentially it's adrenalized them. And when they come off, they're going cold turkey. It's like drug withdrawal from their adrenaline. That's why they get gr- get grumpy. So they need to come off it before they get to that stage. Um, so, you know, those are the kind of energetic effects, the, the sort of depleting of kidney Yin, the heating up, the the agitation of the shen, depletion of heart, blood, it affects the liver. And then of course, there are the more kind of fundamental effects of children who are on technology a lot from a very young age, just not learning how to, or maybe learning's the wrong word, not knowing what's going on inside them, not being aware of their feelings because when they feel a strong emotion, instead of sitting with it, it feels a little bit uncomfortable. So they go on a screen to kind of get away from it. And as we know in Chinese medicine, if you suppress an emotion, then it impacts your chi, negatively and more long term than if you're able to kind of sit with it and move through it so i think that is a really big problem with screens and technology
1: right so the knowingness of self-regulation is being disabled because of these things it's so easy now to turn to your advice for that validation rather than going internally to find self-love
0: yeah or just, um, you know, when we get angry, say, uh, you know, our chi tends to rise when we get angry, rather than sitting with it and going, ah, oh, mm-hmm. something funny is going on in my body here. Ah, oh, okay, maybe this is related to that conversation I just had with someone. Oh, actually, yeah, I really don't feel good about what they said to me. They're missing out on this whole process of becoming emotionally self-aware because instead of going through that process they go oh feel uncomfortable let's go and play a game or whatever
1: and of course then their mentors become whoever is on the devices social media channels or the people they're playing these games with Mm. they turn to them and and start to mirror some of those Mm. uh, actions and responses and of course there's a lot of anger and vitriol on social media and, and sadness still, and loneliness and
0: yeah there's so and there's also you know i think instagram is particularly famous for this but there's also the whole factor of <clears throat> everyone's life seemingly looking perfect on instagram of and course. then kind of comparison and feeling that they come up short and that their life's not as good as anyone else's and
1: right And then you also mentioned it's not not just the time they're spending on screens and on their digital devices, but it's the time that they're then not Mm. connecting in other ways, connecting Mm. with the earth, with the trees, with nature, with people face to face at skate parks or on hikes or biking or whatever it may be.
0: Exactly. And crucially, on top of all of what you just said which is absolutely true it's the lack of downtime so for many kids these days their downtime in inverted commas is being on a screen and connecting yes so when does their system actually get to just kind of take a big deep breath and you know all that stagnation to be released and for them to kind of come down into into a more kind of yin state. For some kids, it just barely ever happens, apart from when they're asleep and they're not sleeping for long enough as well. So
1: right, and then often they're diagnosed with ADD and put on drugs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Exactly.
1: We could continue on each of these topics <laughs> endlessly. <laughs> Being aware at the time, though, I did throw out the the relative bomb of birth control. So I'm just wondering if you want to touch that one or just leave it.
0: So were you thinking of?
1: Well, just the, the overall your... hormone uh, changes that occur during puberty. And then very soon after that, often girls are put on birth control, which, of course, is radically changing their hormones all over yeah. again.
0: Yeah. I worry about it. I worry about it a lot. I think that it's really crucial from our Chinese medicine perspective for a woman's menstrual cycle to have those first few years to find a rhythm, for the blood to flow um, and then to build back up again, and for the natural waxing and waning of yin and yang across the menstrual cycle and when that natural process is messed with and kind of taken over by artificial hormones, I think it can have some really detrimental effects long-term. Right,
1: okay. Like I said, I know we could talk about this. I know, I'm sorry. Each slightly... topic so long. I'll leave it at that for that, okay. thank, thank you for doing that. I I want to actually learn a little bit more about you, the work that you do at the Panda Clinic, your books, so you have a new book. Is it out or it's coming out?
0: Um, it's, it's coming out on the 21st of October. I think you can pre-order it from Amazon or Singing Dragon.
1: Congratulations. It,
0: thank you very much.
1: And that is called?
0: So that is called Chinese Medicine for Childhood Anxiety and Depression, a guidebook sorry i can't even remember the title of my own book (laughs) um a practical handbook for parents and practitioners so it's not so my first book was a textbook this book is for parents as well as practitioners it's not about how to do acupuncture okay it's looking at children's and teenagers lives from a Chinese medicine perspective, and trying to understand why they might be getting anxious or depressed, and what we can do about it.
1: Okay, and obviously, you were inspired to write this based on your clinical work. Mm -hmm. Was there anything in particular with your, your life and your clinical practice that made you come to realize that this really needs to be in existence for people?
0: Yeah, it was the fact that day after day, week after week, I found myself making similar suggestions to teenagers and their parents about really relatively minor lifestyle tweaks based on my diagnosis of their condition and their five element constitution, that seemed to make a more, have a more beneficial impact on them than perhaps, you know, CBT therapy that they'd been recommended or medication that they'd been given. I think we can make mental illness so complicated. And of course, on the one hand, it is, but I think that if we come back to some of our kind of really basic Chinese medicine principles and see how far teenagers' lives have become removed from those principles, actually, we can simplify it and we can really, really help. And I just felt very strongly that our framework and our perspective could help parents and teenagers to find their way back to more contentment and that's why I wrote the book
1: wonderful you use that term mental illness and I'm just going back to it brought me back to thoughts about inner alchemy and how there are no nothing's broken nothing needs fixed nothing's a mistake It's just all a journey that we are on, and we can take those so-called mental illnesses, which in alchemy would be our lead, and we can turn it into our greatest gifts, which is our gold, if only we give it the energy and the consciousness that it needs to go through that evolution. And I just, I worry sometimes that we throw about, well, not sometimes, I worry that we throw about these labels, diagnostic labels, medical labels, just far too readily Because it's stigmatizing. And again, we're giving this thing a destiny by by giving it a name as such. Whereas maybe someone just hasn't found their niche or their comfort in social settings that looks normal, quote unquote, to what other people are doing. But I'm sure people like... Mozart or Einstein are some of these geniuses of our time. And so many people who have uh, been on the autism spectrum, when you look back through history, well, their gifts were these things. Yeah. And if we focus only on the the negative aspects of it, then we totally lose the opportunity to see what the gold within that is.
0: Yeah, I think you put it beautifully. Can I tell you a a story of a girl I treated who illustrates your point? So she came to me when she was 16, um, having suffered from quite extreme anxiety and depression, to use those labels again, since she was about 11. And she was from a her parents were both very successful uh she went to a good school she'd always worked very hard she'd always got good results and she sat there and she said to me I feel so much shame for the way I feel because I know that I have no reason to feel like I feel and As I got to know her and as treatment went on and through our dialogue and and through the acupuncture just kind of shifting her movements of chi, she came to the knowing that from the age of 12 or 13 she had decided that she was going to be a doctor she was going to leave school, go to a good university. She assumed that she would move to London, that she'd get married, that she'd have a few kids, that she'd move out to the country. This was so much in the sort of ether of where she'd grown up. It wasn't that her parents were overtly putting any pressure on it on her, it was just kind of out there. And by the time I stopped treating her she had switched her subjects from sciences to drama and arts she ditched the idea of trying to get to a top university and had applied to drama school she'd realized she didn't want to live in London Ugh, you know why would she want to do that and that actually she might not want to get married and she might not want to have children and as she had these realizations her anxiety lifted she became happier and i see it as acupuncture helping her to find her ming really yes and as you said it was just that she wasn't living the right life for her And, you know, we label that mental illness. It's not really, is it? It's just that the environment isn't helping the person to thrive. And more often than not, we need to change the environment. There's nothing wrong with the person. And as you
1: said, all of those things that she surrendered, I could just feel the shackles coming off one after (laughs) another, after another into this place of freedom and opportunity, as opposed to just feeling trapped
0: yeah absolutely and you know it wasn't a completely smooth path I felt like she would take two steps forward and then these voices would come back in oh but maybe I should be doing that maybe I'm being you know my parents have spent all this money on my education and I'm not going to make them proud or whatever Um, but you know gradually she took fewer steps back and more steps forward and it was really clear that every time as you beautifully put it she released one of these shackles she became less anxious and and more happy
1: right i've often described the acupuncture needles as keys that help to unlock the the closed doors within us but now i'm also seeing it as they can unlock those emotional shackles that we strap around ourselves and keep us held down
0: I think so. I mean, isn't it amazing? I think our medicine is so, so profound, that when we unblock someone's chi, in a particular nuanced way, it can have those absolutely astonishingly profound effects. I I still find that incredible every day, really.
1: I, I do too. It's beautiful. It's amazing. What is so? That's your forthcoming book. You have one other book. Is that correct?
0: Yes. So what, I. What have, is that one? That is mm-hmm. a, a big textbook called Acupuncture for Babies, Children, and Teenagers, and the subtitle okay. is Treating Both the Illness and the Child. And that was published by Singing Dragon in two thousand and eighteen. Okay. So it's a it's a comprehensive textbook on the treatment of all the most commonly seen physical, mental, emotional conditions in babies, children and teenagers. It covers lots of non-needle techniques as well as needling and it also has I go into a, a lot about causes of disease and internal causes of disease in, in children because the causes of disease we kind of learn in acupuncture school, you know, they're one thing. But really, what I see in the clinic makes children ill is is very different. It's the kind of things we've been talking about today. So I go into that in a lot of detail in that book.
1: Right. You have been very busy with writing then, I suppose, over the last at least five years, it sounds like.
0: I do seem to have been. Yes. I don't really know how that's happened. (laughs) Is
1: is that a passion of yours?
0: I think I would have to say it is now, but I, whenever I, well, whenever I've written two books, I think by the time I've got to the end of each of those, I've said, oh my gosh, please don't let me ever do that again. (laughs)
1: And yet, you already have the idea for the third book in your head,
0: don't you? <laughs> no, 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 no! Don't say that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't go there. No, I love it, and I. It helps me to clarify my thoughts really through writing, and I feel that. You, know, my my pediatric teacher was Julian Scott, who um, you know was an absolutely amazing pioneer in pediatrics and is a very good friend of mine and has been incredibly supportive. I also feel and I know he feels that my generation need to build on the foundation that he laid because life is so different now. When he started treating children they mainly came with you know acute febrile diseases and in a very short space of time the kind of conditions that we see in the clinic have changed profoundly and I felt that needed to be written about.
1: Yes yes that's interesting too because we've we've talked about that shift from the acute febrile conditions and how we have Mm. suppressed those potentially and now we've Potentially contributed to a whole different age of conditions. Where, when Julian wrote his books, perhaps he wasn't seeing many mm. of the mental emotional conditions.
0: Exactly, we've sort of come a nice full circle in our conversation in that way, haven't hmm. we?
1: <laughs> yeah. And you also mentored under the late Giovanni Maggiolcia as well, correct?
0: Yes, I did. I was very. Um, Very fortunate to work with him uh, in the writing of one of his textbooks, Diagnosis in Chinese Medicine. Yes.
1: So two very well-known mentors. And if you could maybe just, it's probably a a tough thing to ask, but can you kind of sum up the extent of the impact that these mentors have had on you and your practice? And maybe there have been others as well.
0: Mm, There have been So many. Well, I feel that Chinese medicine is forever evolving. And I think it's the responsibility of each generation to keep making it something that's applicable for the modern day. And actually, I remember listening to an interview with Giovanni probably about five years before he died where he where he said that that, uh, you know, we need to make it applicable to the modern Western world. So, but I feel that we we couldn't be doing any of what we're doing if they hadn't come before us.
1: Yes. I think
0: generation has a different remit as it were. We each have a different Ming to go back to our earlier conversation. And I think for for me on a very sort of, personal level, I, I feel absolutely passionately that I want to encourage more practitioners to treat children because I feel I feel it's not right that children are missing out on our extraordinary medicine because it's there's this sort of perception that oh kids can't have acupuncture you know that's not right. And actually pediatrics has been a specialism in Chinese medicine since the Song Dynasty. Um, Chinese medicine is absolutely, you know, profoundly sort of applicable and resonant with and able to help so many childhood conditions. And there are lots of modern inventions like little stick on needles and laser machines Um, And even Shonishin, which only came about in the 17th century, that means we can find ways of delivering acupuncture that are acceptable to children.
1: Um,
0: And so that's what we need to be doing. We need to be kind of giving practitioners the, the confidence and teaching them so that they have the competence to work with children, because if we treat children early on we can have we can actually change the course of of their life i think that's not really too it sounds like a very grand statement but i think it's absolutely true
1: i i agree with you wholeheartedly Mm. yeah with with so many of these shadows that are suppressed Mm. and kept in i think the the sooner someone can become conscious of them and integrate them into their lives. And of course, there's probably endless layers to that. But as we start to do that, I think we can open up and fulfill our more authentic expression and become closer, more closely aligned with our Ming, our destiny.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: I think so. So you've had incredible influence from your mentors would you now consider yourself in the role of mentor you teach at the college of integrated chinese medicine right and you've also written books are you now a mentor of others
0: um i do mentor practitioners yes um i very much hope that i can use my clinical experience to help share what i've learned um i think that's that's all I can do. I, I talk almost purely from my clinical experience. I feel that if that enables other practitioners to treat children, then that's that's great. Um, so I one thing I've literally just launched this week, actually, if you don't mind me mentioning this, um, is Um, an online venture called the Hub of Paediatric Acupuncture. So I've created um, a, a sort of online hub of information for parents about acupuncture for children and also support for practitioners who want to treat children or who are treating children. And it also includes a directory of paediatric practitioners because I get asked several times a week, you know, or do you know of someone who treats children wherever? And I know from teaching and mentoring practitioners who treat children that a lot of them feel quite alone with what they do. So I really hope that the hub will not only help more children to find acupuncture, but help to support practitioners who are treating them so that they can do it better um, and more of them do it. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: Where is that found?
0: So you can find that at pediatricacupuncture.com. Okay, um, and is that
1: spelled the British pediatric?
0: Yeah, it's spelled the British way. So p a e Pediatricacupuncture.com mm-hmm. or .co.uk. That will get you there. And would it be all right to give your listeners a coupon code? Sure. So yes. I want to, in order to try and get it off the ground, I'm hoping that practitioners will join the directory. So, um, I have created a coupon code which I will spell out for you.
1: Okay. Um,
0: it's H O P A, Hopper, as in Hub of Paediatric Acupuncture. Got it. And C A N, Canada, 50. Um, and for the first 20 people that use that code, they can get a lifetime 50% discount to sign up to the directory. Great. which means they will be paying four pounds a month, which I don't know how many Canadian dollars that is, but it's not very much.
1: It's probably like 75 pounds or $75. No, I'm joking. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's pro-
1: probably around $8. Okay. And is this only for the first 20 Canadians or is this anyone who's listening?
0: For the, anyone who's listening who yeah, uses the right. coupon codes
1: perfect. Yeah. And I will make sure to spell that out in the show notes as well. So it's H O P A K A N 50.
0: Uh C A N 50. Sorry.
1: H O P A C A N 50.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Okay. Perfect. Thank you. And that's at pediatricacupuncture.com and then you also have the Panda Clinic which is what and where can people find more about it or do you want to share more about it?
0: So my personal website is rebeccaavon.com um, and so that is where you can find out about the panda clinic um, just maybe to to mention literally in in two weeks a, a team of pediatric practitioners that i've taught and i Uh, starting in Oxford, a low-cost community children's acupuncture clinic, which I'm really excited about. Good for you. Um, So I'm really hoping that we can reach out to kids from families, regardless of their financial status, um, and get to the kids that kind of need need it most. And we're going to be using a wonderful system called AcuTrack. I don't know if you've come across it. I have not. So a couple of English acupuncturists who also have very extensive technical skills have created this system to monitor clinical outcomes in your practice. So rather than having to sort of set up a separate research project, it's a way of using patient um, feedback to create real live data. Um, so the the benefit of it is, for example, if I if I were to treat ten children with bedwetting in a year, it would take me many years to have enough cases to be able to produce some good evidence about bedwetting. Yes. But um, if all the pediatric practitioners who treat bedwetting get all their um, outcomes together, then we can actually create some amazing research and evidence much more quickly.
1: Well, that's exciting.
0: So we're going to be using that in our community clinic. And actually, on the Hub of Pediatric Acupuncture, you can find out more information about Acutrack. And they obviously have their own website as well. And if you join the Hub of Pediatric Acupuncture, you can also get a 50% discount on an AcuTrack subscription. But it's really, it's the way to go. I think to really um, get our medicine to the next level in terms of it being more accepted and widely used, I think as acupuncturists, we need to start using these tools.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: feel strongly about that, really.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a wonderful concept. I'm really happy to hear that's taking flight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This has been incredible, Rebecca. I, I think I could keep going and going and going. It's such <laughs> important topics that we're talking about.
0: It's been really fun. Thank you.
1: Just to wrap up here, we've obviously touched on some disturbing trends mm. and some things that are, are pretty heavy. Uh, we've also talked uh, about some of the lighter side of things and and have reason for optimism is there anything you want to conclude with that is more on the optimistic side when it comes to anxiety and, and kids and then teenagers
0: yes i would say that firstly as acupuncturists we are in a brilliant position to help these kids a better position than you know any anyone else that I can think of. And secondly, not only can we help these kids with our needles, but as we alluded to earlier, we can help them by showing them that they can reframe this so-called mental dysfunction um, and to see it as a sign that there's something in their environment that's not serving them and there's nothing inherently wrong with them. They're not faulty. (laughs) They they just need help to find a path that is going to help them to fulfill their destiny. And we as practitioners can can help them to do that. And, And a final thing about that, with the increase in anxiety since the pandemic, I think also we can say to kids and teenagers, Yep, this is a really difficult time. It's been a really difficult time, but actually you are managing it and you will build resilience through this time and that will serve you as you go on to the next phase of your life. I think we really need to give them that message because there's so much doom and gloom about that they're just kind of absorbing and taking on and that's making them lose hope
1: well said and who among us doesn't need help in with trying that. to step into alignment with our destiny
0: we all do don't we, yeah. we all do.
1: i often say that personal growth does not have to be a solo journey and as a mm-hmm. matter of fact i don't think it can be a, a truly solo journey
0: no it's when we bump up against each other that we grow it's through our interactions and our connections mm-hmm. i think i completely agree with you
1: Thank you so much, Rebecca.
0: Thank you. It's
1: been really nice getting to know you. Thank you for the contributions that you continue to make the books, your clinical practice, your teaching, your mentorships, the hub of acupuncture. All of these things are just incredible contributions and I'm certain they're having an impact everywhere. So thank you for doing that and for focusing on such an important topic. Because what could be more important than our children?
0: Well, thank you for your kind words. And it's been really fun chatting to you. And um, yeah, I hope our paths cross again at some point.
1: Well, let's make that happen.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Okay, thank you, Rebecca. Have a wonderful day.
0: And you take care. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Rebecca Avern. To learn more about Rebecca, visit RebeccaAvern.com. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-A-V-E-R-N.com. And also visit the hub of pediatric acupuncture at pediatricacupuncture.com. And that's pediatric spelled P-A-E-D-I-A-T-R-I-C. And be one of the first to receive the code H-O-P-A-C-A-N-50 to receive 50% off a lifetime subscription to the practitioner directory. If you feel drawn to the study of Chinese medicine, the School of Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned multi-year programs, including world's first study options combining acupuncture with Western herbal medicine and holistic nutrition. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in Chinese medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at pacificrimcollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you're using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, consider how you might be able to help a child suffering from anxiety or depression.